and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but talk about how they could be, I don't know, maybe just a little bit better. I'm your host, Tony, and with me as always is someone who's a bit dry, can sometimes be coarse, and sure gets everywhere. Sand. Oh, wait, no, Matt. Matt, me. <laughs> how you doing, Matt? I'm great. I, 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 I was thinking, like, how is he going to do this one? And that's that's perfect. Sometimes you got to grab that low hanging fruit. It's it's right there. Right. Well, when you're my height, you, that's the easiest fruit <laughs> to grab for sure. For sure. I mean, I I guess that's Ewok size. That's Ewok Ewok level fruit right there is what that was. <laughs> okay, I don't know what we're talking about. I think we're trying to uh, to talk about something other than the the movie today, which isn't a good idea. I picked this movie because it's it's one I I had on my movie fixer list from the concept of this podcast. Uh, what are we doing, Matt? Well, we are doing we're we're continuing a a tradition, or at least we're calling it a tradition now because this is this will be our third film in this series and it is the star wars series uh early early on in this podcast we did uh, attack of the jedi no wait what's it called what's the newest one revenge of the jedi return of the, the jedi? last the last jedi <laughs> <laughs> i'm not cutting that out no please don't i honest to god couldn't remember the name of that damn movie so we did the jedi the the most recent as of this podcast uh star wars film and uh, we then followed it up with episode one, Attack. Or, nope, not Attack of the... What's wrong with me today? This is going to be a fun <laughs> episode. Uh, Phantom Menace. There and you go. we are continuing along that saga with episode two, Attack of the Clones. That is right. And I have a lot to say about this. But first, I want to point out that... Since this is a passion project of mine, I mentioned to our property scout, Jessa Ducci, that we were looking at this one and uh, spoke with her about doing the recap and just kind she of the, the faked look. her own death. Yeah. Having to do this. <laughs> Turns out she's off grid. <laughs> we can't find her. No security. <laughs> no security number. Nothing. If, any, if anyone has seen her children, <laughs> <laughs> they're in another country, possibly another planet, oh. another galaxy far, far away. All joking aside, we gave her a pass on this episode. Yeah, I'm I'm not that cruel. She's she, not dead. No, she's <laughs> she's she's alive and well. But that means I'm going to go ahead and read us a recap on this real quick and I'm going to do my darndest to uh to get through this so it hopefully won't be like other Star Wars podcasts we uh we do where we talk about what happens for 40 minutes. I'm I'm wanting to keep this one short. So uh, unless you're saying any- something for this 2 hour and 25 minute <laughs> extravaganza <laughs> yep let's see if i can sum that up you ready all right tone let's do it all right no i'm just kidding it's star wars and planets are leaving the republic to join the bad guys the republic is torn between building an army but not wanting to provoke open war Padme Amidala is a senator now, directly involved in this argument, and comes to the Senate. However, attempts on her life require the added security of Jedi's Obi-Wan and Anakin. After another attempt on her life is foiled, Obi-Wan goes to investigate the source of the attacks, while Anakin is left to take her back to her home planet in secret. Anakin awkwardly flirts with Padme while she keeps rejecting him in a sense of duty. Obi-Wan, meanwhile, is doing doing some really great spy detective work and covering the bounty hunter trying to kill Padme. 
He eventually finds himself on the planet Kamino, and learns the native race was given an order by the previous head of the Jedi Council, Cypher Diaz, a person we've never met before or heard of until now. This order was to start building a clone army. Obi-Wan learns that the person they are cloning is also the bounty hunter he's after. As luck would have it, the bounty hunter, Jango Fett, is there on Kamino. A fight breaks out and Jango gets away with his son slash clone, Boba. Would you say that Obi-Wan is in a convenient place right now? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) no, it's okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, Anakin has a dream one night about his mother and she's in pain. And it turns out he's been having this dream recurringly. No longer able to ignore these vision-like dreams, he heads back, along with Padme, to his home planet, Tatooine. Obi-Wan, however, follows Jango, in secret, to the hidden planet of Genosha. On the surface, Obi-Wan hides in the space air ducts to see a meeting between Count Dooku, that bad guy mentioned over an hour ago that we haven't seen yet, and a bunch of people joining the Separatist movement, basically those not wanting to be in the Republic. They're planning some vague, bad stuff to do against the Republic, and Obi-Wan has to get the word out. So he goes back to his ship, but he's too far into space to get a message to the Jedi Council, so he sends one to Anakin, who is closer now because he decided to go to Tatooine. Way to listen. It's not important to this story, but important to future Star Wars stories, to note, somewhere in here, the lovable Jar Jar Binks, serving as an active senator for Naboo, is tricked into presenting a motion to give High Chancellor Palpatine emergency control over the army they don't yet have, but will, and the power to make unilateral decisions for the war that hasn't yet started, but is going to. Meanwhile, Anakin hits all the famous spots on Tatooine from episode 1 and 4. He meets the Lars, which include his new stepdad and stepbrother. They say Annie's mom has been captured by Tusken Raiders, and Anakin goes looking for her. He finds his mother being held captive by the Raiders, but when he reaches her, she's too badly hurt and dies in his arms. A very classic kids movie trope there. (laughs) Anakin isn't thrilled by this and starts cutting up the entire camp of Raiders. He comes back to Padme at the Lars homestead and admits to creating a mass genocide as he killed not only the Raiders, but their women and children as well. Padme feels sorry for him. I mean, I think she does. One needless funeral scene later, Anakin gets Obi-Wan's message and sees at the end Obi-Wan was kidnapped. He relays the message to the Jedi Council and they tell him to stay put. And Anakin, surprisingly, is fine with all this. But Padme insists the Jedi won't reach Obi-Wan in time and they should go. Or rather, she says she's going and he's just going to have to follow along with her. Obi-Wan in prison meets Count Dooku, who tries to bring him to his side, but Obi-Wan's not having it. Padme... Padme and Anakin arrive on Genosha. <laughs> Did you say Padakin? Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> Padme and Anakin arrive on Genosha and try to sneak into the fortress, only to discover it's a factory producing all the droids for the Separatist army. The Genosians, a bug-like race, begin to attack them, and they have a fight along the huge assembly line of droids. Eventually, the duo is captured and brought to an arena to face execution. It's important to stop here and note that around this time, Padme admits to Anakin she loves him. It's also important to remember that less than 24 hours ago, he admitted to losing his cool and murdering a bunch of women and children. Hmm. Out in the arena, Obi-Wan says what a good job Anakin did, coming to the rescue as they're all chained to the posts as if they didn't have Jedi powers to escape. Monsters are led led into the arena to kill them, but first they take a bite out of some of the guards, which gets cheers from the crowds of Genosians. But the guards were Genosians. 
Yay. <laughs> yeah. No one seems to care that Padme is using a lockpick to get out of her chains as the Jedi use the Force to agility their way away. They overcome the monsters, and then Count Dooku orders droids to surround them. This is apparently too much for them to handle, but it's okay. Mace Windu has arrived with a bunch of Jedi. More fighting happens, and two extras give our boys some lightsabers so they can get into slicing droids. It goes well at first, but the sheer numbers have all the Jedi surrounded. But it's okay again. In comes Yoda with a whole clone army. Things have gotten hairy enough that Count Dooku decides to leave. Jango, however, goes down to fight Mace Windu. Windu uses the Force and one of those monsters we talked about and a lot of other tricks to decimate Jango and decapitate him, making the fight clearly as one-sided as anybody was expecting it to be. Obi-Wan, Padme, and Anakin hop into a ship and go after Dooku, knowing they must stop him to prevent war. Their ship takes a stray blast and Padme falls out. Anakin wants to go back for her, but Obi-Wan insists he needs Anakin's help if they're to take Dooku down. They reach Dooku, who has flown to where he has a spaceship parked, and Obi-Wan talks battle strategy for how they will take him together. Anakin won't have that noise, and rushes Dooku immediately, getting owned and tossed with force lightning into a wall. Good job, Anakin. Obi-Wan, sans Anakin's help now, holds his own for a bit, but goes down. It's still okay, though, as Anakin gets up just in time to block the killing blow to Obi-Wan. One terribly choreographed fight later, Anakin loses his hand to Dooku, who tosses him aside. But once again, it's still all okay, because Yoda shows up. Uh, again. Dooku uses the Force to toss monstrous-sized debris at Yoda. However, Yoda just Force-tosses the debris to the side. Dooku shoots lightning, and Yoda catches it like it's nothing. Dooku says to Yoda that since the world-warping power that is the Force isn't deciding this match between them, they should use their glow sticks, or I mean, lightsabers. Another lightsaber battle happens, with Yoda jumping around super fast and making Dooku struggle. However, Dooku seizes a moment, where he uses the Force again to drop more debris, this time on the fallen Obi-Wan and Anakin. Yoda must pause to save them, and Dooku uses this chance to escape. The final fight of our movie is done. Whew. There's some discussion afterwards about how even though they all survived, this was a loss, as we see more clone troops being amassed for an all-out war. And finally, Anakin and Padme are back on Naboo, having a secret wedding and sharing a awkward kiss. Roll credits. So Matt, what'd you think? Huh. Of your recap or of the movie? Because <laughs> your recap was a lot of fun. The movie itself had its moments. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like with so many movies, there's there's like kind of two responses to this question. There's how I felt when I first saw it, you know, what was that, 15 years ago? Mm-hmm. And how I felt when I watched it again just a couple nights ago. Um I couldn't even tell you what I thought of it the first time. I just don't kind of like with Phantom Menace. I was so young and I wasn't very critical of, uh, of these movies in the beginning. Whereas now I, there's, I, I can see so many problems. Um, I think I just kind of, it was a movie, you know, but I, I don't, I think I didn't realize that it was starting to affect my love of star Wars at the, because I did love Star Wars when I was younger. You know, I was like you. I was the kid that had the card games and, and the encyclopedias and just like ate up the books and all of that. And I just didn't see a lot of the problems when I first saw this movie. And now, oof, 
there's there's just so many things what what about you I I'm I'm a bit different. I remember seeing it originally and my fierce love of Star Wars just made me angry. I was hoping that the Phantom Menace was a fluke that it was just okay, we're we're going to get into this. They dropped the ball on that one, but it's going to get better and I felt like it got worse and watching it now and I watched it a few times back when it first came out, especially because I had a younger brother and sister about a decade apart from me, and they would watch it on VHS over and over and over again like you did as kids. So I would always catch it. But this time, because my sort of venement just loathing for all of this has subsided, I paid a little bit more attention to things I never noticed before. Certain attempts at a plot that... If, if they weren't so buried under everything else happening, would have been interesting. And yeah, I think I know where you're going with that. It, it makes me excited because we always talk about how the worst movies, like, like total horrible movies, are terrible to fix because you just feel like you're building it up from scratch. There's potential in this movie. That mm-hmm. said... As a huge fan of Star Wars, as far as the mainstream theatrical release movies go, this is my least favorite. I like Phantom Menace better. I, For the one time I saw Revenge of the Sith, dislike it less than this one. The new Star Wars movies I like more than all of the prequels. And uh, on that note, uh, we say this all the time, but I want to say it again because not everybody listens to every episode. If you like the prequels, if you grew up liking the prequels probably because you were younger than me or maybe you're older than me and just still enjoyed them, that is okay. I do not care for them, and I might get a little harsher on this than I do on the other ones, but if you disagree, first of all, let me know. I want to hear. And second of all, I don't judge you, and you are not wrong for liking them any more than I am not right for disliking them. This is this is a safe space here. We're just going to be opinionated today. Oh my god, I almost cried a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that said, I really want to rip into this movie. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't so let's 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 start like we like to do. Tell me what what did you like in this movie? Uh, I know there are a couple things I liked in this movie, and just from your your tone, it sounds like there's a few things that maybe you 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 have found that you like in this movie. I'm I'm curious to know what they are. Well, the first thing I like is the thing I like in all of these movies, which is Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, I I like Ewan well, McGregor. It's a Ewan lot. McGregor as Jesus Christ playing Obi Wan. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I think somewhere in my in my handwritten notes, I went I went white Jesus slash Obi Wan Kenobi because he totally Basically, has that look. He looks like every portrait of Jesus written by oh you know, for sure. Anglo, I love. The, I've seen Anglo-Saxons. memes where like mm-hmm. people will post that their like grandmother has a framed picture of. <laughs> and they don't even understand that it's not actually you know you know what i mean like that's how that's how jesusy he looks in this movie yeah and it i i like it it works it it it's it's funny at least uh what i like about ewan mcgregor as obi-wan is he made this character fun he had mm-hmm. fun and it, it it radiates out of him so even if the movie is a complete train wreck he's having mm-hmm. a blast he smiles he's cutting up but what I liked about Obi-Wan in this movie specifically was is he kind of got to play a little bit of a detective or Obi-Wan, a spy. Obi-Wan, private eye. Yeah. Well, I called him double O Obi-Wan. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he has to go investigate who this bounty hunter is. And so he goes to 
maybe not the best location ever, but like a diner where he knows an inside guy who knows weapons. And then he has to go to this other planet that's all water and uncover kind of a secret there while playing like he knows what's going on. He does a lot of spy spy work. I think it's more spy than detective work in the end. But we get to see him in action. Uh, mm-hmm. sort of as much action as we get out of this movie and whenever he's not around Anakin I think he is really interesting and I want just kind of a whole movie of Obi-Wan going around the galaxy just being double Obi-Wan I'm with you I'm with you uh, along the lines of casting things that I care that I liked I really like uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson in this movie he's grossly underutilized as he is so often but Kind of like what you're saying, you can tell he's having a good time, you know, and as far as I can remember, he he kind of sought this out and he was like, you guys are making more Star Wars. I like Star Wars. I want to be in one. So mm-hmm. he's just he's he's along for the ride and he's having a good time. And I like the scenes that he's in. I would like his character to be a bigger character, I think. Yeah, but I, I liked him being in it. Uh, something I noticed, and I think every time we watch one of these uh, these older Star Wars movies, I notice another, you know, actor that was in these movies before they were famous but uh rose Byrne is one of her handmaidens in the beginning of this movie and i kept thinking like is she even going to get a line because she was in every shot for the first like 20 minutes of the movie and then she finally got one line where she says something like are you okay she's the one that like rushes to her bed yeah, and, and she gets one more after that, because I, I noted that character. In the beginning, we see her in all these scenes, and she's the only one not talking, and I thought that was really strange. Um, right, I kept expecting it to like unfold into something else, and she's just kind of there, but it's cool. I like Rose Byrne a lot. I, I was going to say, yeah, Rose Byrne. I, I totally know who that is, but for our audience, who who is she again? Oh, Lord, you would ask me that. Uh, she was in the movie Spy. With Melissa McCarthy, which is a surprisingly good spy film, to be honest. Um, what else has she been in? She she's she's really blown up lately. Um, I'm pulling her up. She was okay. in Bridesmaids. She was in Neighbors. Um, so so younger actress, not oh she's like Moira a- McTaggart in the new X Men movies. That's right. Oh, cool. Okay, so there you go. Thank. So anyway, thanks. she's really cool, and she's 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 our Kira Knightley in this movie. Because if if our listeners remember in the Phantom Menace, Kira Knightley played the Padme like handmaiden double, and mm-hmm. I guess she was too big to be in this movie, so they got Rose Byrne, who then also went on to have like a really great career. So, good job for the Amidala handmaids. Mm-hmm. Anything else stand out that you you liked in this? <sighs> Man, it's so hard to say. Um. I think we're gonna we're gonna really elaborate on this more in a bit, but I do want to say that there is this like political intrigue storyline that is sort of buried in this movie that is surprisingly interesting. The Palpatine storyline is 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 actually really interesting, if not buried. Um, some of the the worlds are really interesting. Like I like how different Coruscant, the city planet, is from uh genosha which is different from uh what's the the big water planet camino i think camino. i'm gonna get the names wrong like, on i this, like that but... all these planets and locations have very unique looks that were clearly like thought through um so yes i would say some of the production design i really liked uh once again a lot of the amidala costumes are really interesting you can tell they put like maybe a little more effort into those than they should have quite frankly um, oh, when they go back to Naboo and they're spending their like 
their time in the fields and the palace and the lakeside place. And I just, there's some visual interest in this movie that I think we'd be remiss to not acknowledge. Uh, that said, nah, I can't, you really hit the nail on the head. The standout in all three of these films is Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's about it for me. Anything else really standing out for you? No, um, you mentioned uh, the, the kind of the suggestion of Palpatine's over like arcing plan is a bit more creative when you stop and think about it, but it is definitely not emphasized or given enough attention. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed this time just how much more of a political like story these prequels are. The, the original trilogy was, I mean, it was advertised as good versus evil evil and this one's a bit more of a complacent established republic getting undermined by the you know goals of one man trying to manipulate the system because something i never caught before was this the republic doesn't have an established army and that's the argument for this movie technically that's the political argument happening that's why people are trying to kill Senator Almadala is the Republic is considering building an army to deal with these separatists. And Padme is one of the people that believe, no, we need to continue to rely on democracy. If we build this army, we're going to invite war. And however you may feel about that, it's an interesting conversation, but it, it never really goes anywhere. The few times they talk about it, it, you're not like invested or really know what's going on. Most of what I gave you was written in the written in the scrolling titles in the beginning. And that's how I was able to sort of focus on what they were talking about in the very lengthy kind of Senate room scenes. Uh, one more thing I want to point out that I liked in this movie that I, I'm sort of surprised I didn't hear from you since you like to focus on specific articles of clothing and costuming pieces. But when we first meet uh, Jango Fett in his quarters on the, the the one planet, he's wearing this really, really slick linen collarless button up blue shirt that's got some interesting like texture to it. And I was like, that seems like a really cool piece of costuming I would like to own. So there's that thing. That's- that's funny. I think aesthetically, you and I are are diametrically opposed on on everything because everything you described that you liked about this this production scenery and stuff like that, I would argue the opposite. I don't want to get into it, but also I remember thinking Django's outfit looked kind of just dull, and the only bit of costuming that I really cared for, and I wasn't going to comment because it's it's. It's a little cliche of me, but Obi-Wan had some nice boots. Not even, like, the best boots ever, but he did have some cool-looking boots. And, uh, I mean, I'm sort of a, a bit of a whore for boots, and especially, like, knee-high boots. And these were right up my alley. But they weren't they weren't so much that, oh, I need those boots. It was just, those are nice. So, yeah, costuming in this, and I've always felt like this with the prequels. The Jedi are very understated in what they wear. I know that's on purpose, but it's it's just sort of dull to me. Well, they're understated, except for also they're not, because that cloak that they wear is completely impractical, <laughs> and it's like way too big, you know? It, mm-hmm. it, it, I couldn't get over when he was trying to leave the, the water planet, and it was just pouring rain, and he was trying to have a, like a, a Skype call, basically, <laughs> and I was like, do they not have like hydrophobic technology? Like, do they not have raincoats or, or, or just water resistant cloaks in the Jedi order? An umbrella. Like, can you not attach an umbrella to the top of your lightsaber? I mean, we have that in our reality. Right. 
It was just it was such an oversight from the the Jedi, but you know that's their hubris. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I know I know how frustrating those cloaks can be. I do cosplay Jedi at least once a year, and it's it's a pain to get around. It is. I don't know how he got any work done. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. All right. So next we we talk about what fell flat. I have a huge list. I'm going to try and stay broad, but there are going to be some times where I'm just going to have to I'm just going to have to call out certain lines or scenes. But what what do you think is one of the biggest things that fell flat for you, Matt? God, I mm, biggest things. There's I, I'm like you. I don't want to really like get hung up in detail because I have pages and pages of notes here and we we could spend two and a half hours just breaking those down. And, and to be fair, to be fair, a lot of other people have. There are plenty of other podcasts, oh, sure. YouTube videos, really breaking down just every little thing that's wrong. And they're they're correct in their breakdowns. But yeah. we're here to fix the movie, not just break it down. So give me give me the overlying. What is the most distracting? Fell flat. Why is this happening in the movie for you? The most man. I don't know how to pick the most. I'll just give you one right now, and then I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can figure out which one is the most distracting. Uh, one of the big ones for me, as much as I said I liked the the set or like the locations in this movie, so once you got past that first like really nice wide establishing shot of a location, the sets all felt so like enormous and cavernous and and lifeless, and it was because they shot so many things on big, big, big green screen sets. And it it looks like it. It's not like some of the like modern Marvel films where we know now that the you know that almost that entire set was green screen and then like computer generated later. But at least it feels full and it feels real and it feels tangible. With this one it was just huge giant offices or hallways or things like that that felt like it reminded me of that movie uh sky captain in the world of tomorrow that they filmed entirely on like green screens yeah everything just felt like green screen work and it to the point where it was distracting and it also felt a lot like a spy kids movie there was so much of like the quality of the cgi in this movie and the the use of it and the the character models for how some of the characters are just kind of really goofy looking it all felt like, oh, we're watching Spy Kids 7, you know, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> so that was a big one for me. I mean, I, I don't I really don't think I would identify that as the biggest, but just the the blatant use of subpar computer generated effects. I, I feel like that's something that had they used a lot more practical effects would have been way less distracting and way less upsetting in the film. Um, have you ever seen any of the behind the scenes footage of them filming? Uh, yes. So one of the things I noticed in that is a lot of these sets were literal, not just backdrops, but full on blue sets where even the ground they were walking on and everything around them was. So when you, you give it that lifeless description, I think part of what hurt was there was nothing on set for an actor to interact with. And sure, there are whole sequences that are just you and McGregor walking across a blue floor with a blue background. And every character that he's talking to in the scene is later composited in. So it's just him walking in a big empty room, talking to himself. And one of the problems we knew about that, or that we've heard about that and in just trivia and such is they would run out of 
Matt. So he would be talking and walking and he would walk too fast and he would not finish the scene before they ran out of blue screen. And Mm -hmm. so everyone you'll see in this movie has to walk painfully slow. And there is a lot of walking and talking and a lot of walking and sitting and a lot Mm -hmm. of sitting. It's like it wants to to be a political thriller, like a West Wing. But it's also not. <laughs> yeah, right, but, but they keep running out of set. Like, imagine West Wing if they all walked really slow. If all the hallways were seven feet long. God, it would be such a short show. It'd be right. a half-hour show. <laughs> uh, let's see. What, other, what else really stood out? I mean, again, there's so many things I could talk about. Performances are a problem. Uh, Hayden Christensen always kind of, kind of seems to be, like, overcompensating, whereas... Natalie Portman seems to be just really toning it down and giving the most like safe performance she can get away with. Um, yeah. I mean, their whole chemistry and their relationship is really poorly developed. I don't know. I feel like I could go into so many things. I, I want to hear what you have to say as, as close to broad strokes as you can make it. But like, what, what are you, what are you feeling about this movie? Well, the reason I said most distracting is because there was one element that I can broad strokes describe as the most distracting for me. So even though there's a lot going on wrong, this was always at the forefront of my attention and why I didn't notice so much stuff. So much of the other things I've mentioned earlier, like the political intrigue and and other other things happening in the world. And that's because the glaring in your face just fell flat element is the romance between Anakin and Padme that not only feels shoehorned, but shoehorned as if the the shoe and the horn were like right in your face on the screen the whole time. And, And part of that is because of, like you said, the performances, but not blaming Hayden Christensen, Anakin is just a weird character. It goes back to when we were talking about Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, and they didn't really understand who who Peter Parker was. He was a nerd, he was a bit awkward, but he wasn't like a full-on dork, borderline creeper. It it was, it, and I guess these were sort of around the same time, but these characters that are supposed to be a little awkward, they end up doing things that are just woefully inappropriate and not in any way romantic the way he would stare at her and obsess at her and some of the dialogue he would say to her that should just be warning line warning lights for every you know person out there that if someone starts talking to you this way get away from them and quickly she covered the cameras i don't think she liked me watching her that's a real line from this movie (laughs) yes she she at one point literally tells him to stop staring at her a certain way when he goes why she goes it makes me uncomfortable makes me uncomfortable and walks turns away from him and then he just turns the stare up to worse <laughs> oh you're totally right that's exactly what happens and i'm scene. sitting here going first of all the way this the movie the way the movie puts forth Anakin is he's the hero. He's the new young budding hero. Obi-Wan's the veteran at this point. I, I think that was a wrong choice in and of itself, but mm-hmm. that's how he's betrayed. So this hero is given creepy stare at our our heroine and just it just the way when he's not doing that, he's he's you know true Skywalker form. He's whining. He's whining at Obi-Wan in front of everybody about I think it was about why they're not investigating the bounty hunter sooner. And Obi-Wan's trying to just have a conversation with the, the first conversation with Amidala and her security staff. And he just keeps looking over like, boy, are you really giving me lip right now? And it was so awkward. I wrote in my notes, this Anakin is being so awkward. Jar Jar Binks looks sympathetic for him. When Jar Jar <laughs> Binks is not the most awkward thing in the room, 
there's a yeah. problem. I mean, just just on a personal level. So I wrote, it's weird when Jar Jar isn't the most annoying character in the movie. <laughs> that that is yeah. So so Anakin just falls apart there. The other part of it is, I never know what Padme's thinking or feeling. Mm-hmm. She she plays it like you said. She, she, Natalie Portman plays it safer but i took that as you know padme wants to stay business she wants to stay professional but she does fall in love with him at the end and she does stick around with him and make a lot of choices that aren't professional or aren't the smart move the way they they hang out the way she wears more and more revealing clothing as they go along in the movie while telling him you know hey we're we're not going to hook up like that I was I was wondering, okay, is she doing this because she wants the attention, but she's trying to keep on a professional veneer? What does she even think about him? Because to her, he was this little kid. Now, I did the math. We argue that he was about 12 in the first one, and she said she was queen at like 17 or 18. So they're probably only five years apart, technically. Somewhere right. between five and six years. We do know that 10 years has passed. We know yeah. that for sure. So he's um, he's like yeah, out of right. college. I think they're only five or six years apart, which is not completely ridiculous. Yeah, so he's like 22. She's like 28. That's You've definitely got some maturity uh, gap there, but it's, it's not as bad. So, but still, she remembers him as a little boy. Now right. she's well, seeing... She even says at the very beginning of the film, mm-hmm. you'll always be that little boy I knew on Tatooine, which like... Ouch, right? If you're Anakin. (laughs) Yeah, cut to them getting... If you were to go suddenly cut to them getting married at the end, that's weird. Right, it is Why, Why the change? Why the switch? And the only thing I can pick up is because he goes through all of this, like, emotional trauma with his mom, with his trouble being disrespected by Obi-Wan, and just his insecurity, that she gets sort of, like, a pity love for him is the best way Mm -hmm. to describe it. But that doesn't make any sense to me. I feel... I feel the real problem is is we don't know what Padme's thinking. She's there to wear a new outfit in every scene until she gets that uh, white outfit at the end. She wears mm-hmm. six outfits, I believe. And you're right. They're, some of them are really intricate and well thought out. But is that necessary? It's hard to identify with a character when they're changing it's, clothes. It's so strange because you know, I think you pointed out before we started rolling tonight that there are scenes when, by all accounts, she should be basically wearing like sweatpants and a T-shirt mm-hmm. because they're just like chilling at their chalet in you know by the lake and but there are scenes where she's so unnecessarily fashionista and i guess you could you could make the argument that that's armadala she's a fashionista like she grew up in that and she likes to look really good all the time but they they don't ever really say that or really suggest it to you you could just kind of surmise it by the fact that she's always wearing really great outfits or like really elaborate outfits, but there are so many times when it feels like they chose they being he, him, George, when like he wants her in these outfits, not because it would be something the character would actually be doing, but because they're just trying to get her in as many outfits as possible. Right, and and the thing about them is she starts with a high neckline, and then it just gets lower as the movie goes, and until, until she's got full midriff at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's very. I gotta confusing. say though, I love that last outfit though. That like very kind of Princess Leia white outfit that she's in. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was that practical because so cool. she was on Tatooine, so she was yeah. wearing all white. It had an over kind of shawl piece, and then when she took it mm-hmm. off, it was minimal layers. It was a very practical outfit, but everything up and before that was either extremely extravagant and big or just losing layers. 
And meanwhile, she while she's losing like a neckline, when the neckline is dropping lower, she's telling Anakin over and over again, no, we can't get together. Right. I think I just decided that I want to change this podcast into just analyzing Amidala's fashion in these three movies. <laughs> we, we are going on a bit, but but it, but it all boils down to I, I have never understood what she was thinking, because if you go by what she says, she's not into him until she tells him at the end. I love you. I just wanted you to know, which suggests she's been struggling and hiding her real feelings. But mm-hmm. what were they? How were they? I, I just anything. I don't need all of it. I don't need to get inside her head and hear every thought she's having. But something. Well, also, she never talks to any other characters, really, except oh, Anakin wow. in yeah. this movie. So we don't even have like there could have been a moment with her like handmaiden, right, where mm-hmm. she divulges that she thinks he's cute or my he's really become quite the man like there's there's nothing because or even the handmaiden could could be like the one alluding that oh yeah and and she's trying to deny it but the handmaiden yeah like is reading her because she knows her Mm. her senator but i mean shoot that's like a classic we eliminate early early in the film anyone else that she has contact with Mm -hmm. so that our only everything we know about her is from scenes with him matt you just solved it Stockholm's Stockholm syndrome. She fell in love with him via Stockholm yeah. syndrome. Even though, like, even when they're at the lake house, you know, <laughs> there are like servants there, but you never, we never see her talking to any of them. It's 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 beauty. It's tale as old as time. Beauty and the Beast. Oh my god! <laughs> it totally is. It's Beauty and the Beast. Oh wow. Okay, we have to move past this because there's so much else wrong with this movie. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But but the romance, and I wrote it. The last thing I'll say it was worse than the Twilight romance. It just it it made no sense. Right. At least you could understand in Twilight why both of them were into the other one. It may yeah. not always be good, but at least it was like okay, I get it. I guess in this one, I don't I don't know that I really have a solid grasp of why. Either of them, I mean, again, I think he's more obsessed with her, and he thinks that that's love. Mm-hmm. That's that's my that's my like headcanon for that, and I think it's pretty pretty accurate. With her, it's like you said, we never get in her head, we never know anything about her, so we could we could make all kinds of guesses that, like you said, she maybe she pities him, and she's confusing that with love. Um, you know, maybe she thinks he's he maybe she literally just thinks he's cute. I don't know. It's hard to. It's so hard to say. Mm-hmm. But it's also the main focus of this movie. This Ooh. romance supersedes everything else happening in this movie. And so, even though they're hiding from bounty hunters, and there's this whole political turmoil, and there's this villain called Count Dooku who's starting up a separatist movement. This is always the first thing that you see and everything else kind of happens around or in between it. So I insist that it's it's the most distracting and it should have been the like third plot of the movie instead of the first plot. Instead, we have this romance plot. That's the A story. We have this uh, investigation storyline, which is sort of secondary and then mm. b- beneath all of that is this bigger political thriller mm-hmm. that is just sort of casually talked about. Talked well, about. and then the D story of Anakin is still struggling over not being or sensing that his mother is in trouble and not acting on it. So Anakin just being torn with his responsibility to the Jedi Council is its own storyline while he's yeah. 
trying to mack on this girl and it's just it, it, I don't know it, it just seems to happen it happened in Phantom Menace too there were too many things going on for you to, to care about anything agreed I, I would also say you mentioned this already there is a tone shift over and over again in this where you get a lot of slapstick silly humor cut between some really like heavy moments in the beginning of the movie Padme's body body double dies and she this is one of the few times you get to see Natalie Portman like crank it up and start showing her acting chops because she's supposed to feel guilty for this and hurt that she got someone killed even though that's her job and people are getting decapitated left and right which it's lightsabers so it's not that gory but you know Anakin's mom dies basically because Mm. she was kidnapped by raiders that tortured her i mean it doesn't really say but she does not look like healthy when anakin finds her so they they did For not sure. do bad things oh, happen she's like all strapped to this like sort of weird crucifixy oh, looking thing it's yeah. real it's real serious so like by this description you would assume this movie is like a hard pg-13 or mm-hmm. maybe even a soft r but then you also have scenes like when jar jar is sort of like tricked into uh, putting forth the motion to give the chancellor power, like unilateral power, and he, you know, of course he's Jar Jar. So what does he say? He says, "Delo Felagets" or something mm-hmm. like that. My Delo Felagets, and you're just like, "Oh, that's hilarious." Like, <laughs> I love your Jar Jar reads. <laughs> Thanks. And then, but then you've got the scene where uh, Dooku's at like that weird council meeting, and they're going around the room, and the the what is it the the banking clan guy who just looks. Like some sort of weird PBS kids character, <laughs> you know. There's so much disconnect in this mm-hmm. movie between different pr- like production choices, and, and it's not that you have to stay with one tone in a movie all the time. But when you oh for sure when you juxtapose like hard and do like a hard shift, or when you focus too much, you've got a battle going on and. It's on an assembly line of droids, and R2 and 3PO are getting into antics, and all this comedy is happening, while Anakin, like, they actually kind of tease that Anakin might lose his arm there, because he's got it trapped under some material on the assembly line, and the chopper thingy is coming. Meanwhile, Padme is, like, stuck in a vat that's about to get molten lava dumped on it, and it's like, okay, these are these would be tense if in between all of this, 3PO isn't, like, having his head pulled off and put on another droid's body, and vice versa, and... It, it it destroys all the and I would argue there isn't a lot of tense moments in all of the action scenes here because mm-hmm. at the end of the day every whether it's the chase scene in the speeders or lightsaber fight number five hundred and seventy three the Jedi never seem to ever be in trouble they the force just sort of makes them invincible in this movie more than any other movie. Because Obi-Wan can jump through shattered glass and be fine. He and Anakin can follow the speeder in a crowd of thousands without mm-hmm. ever losing sight of it. They But can... it's also still so inconsistent. Yeah. There's so many times, like, so in the conveyor belt sequence, when they fell on the conveyor belt, and all of a sudden things for, like, one half of a second look like they might actually get tense. And you're like, uh, but then he doesn't, they're just, like, doing this weird, um, like, like really B movie type of bit, which doesn't make any sense because Anakin's already shown how powerful of a Jedi he is already and how he can use the force to like lift things with his mind. And he never at any point uses that ability to like push things off of the conveyor belt or, you know, lift 
Padme out, you know, out of danger and into safety. Not to mention that, and I'm going to bring this up every Star Wars movie we do, not to mention that crazy fast running thing that we saw at the beginning of Phantom Menace that we've never seen another Jedi use ever. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, how convenient would that be to be able to just run really fast and get out of some of these situations or get, you know, get a, a leg up on someone in a lightsaber duel or, you know what I mean? There's just, they're so inconsistent in these movies with how they portray the force and force abilities specifically when they're ch ch uh, like chained up at the arena at the end, I kind of assumed that they were not using their abilities on purpose to like get some information or something like that. But no, they're just not using them because they're not using them. Right. The emperor, we've seen Jedi like remove handcuffs with the force, but they're not <clears throat> yeah. doing that. We, Count Dooku knows that they're Jedi. He's a Sith Lord. He was trained by Yoda. He knows how the force works. He knows three monsters are not going to stop them. They're going to backflip mm -hmm. and jump and which I guess is why he had the droids on standby. I don't know, but it was like, what was the point of all of that show? I truly never understood Dooku's motivation like game or motivation at any point in this movie. And maybe I missed it, but I don't think I did. I think I just it don't was, understand what the hell he was trying to accomplish in this movie. It was really unclear, except for the fact that we know he serves Darth Sidious. Now the irony is, is I don't actually know how much he knows about Darth Sidious. And I don't know if it's ever clear because he talks about there being a dark Lord in the Senate. But does he actually know that's Palpatine, or does he just know Sidious has got is in the Senate? Because uh, later you make a good point. It's not clear. In in as far as the movies go, I haven't read any of the outside material. But as far as the movies go, even by the third movie, when Darth when Palpatine convinces Anakin to kill Dooku, thereby Dooku kind of looks at him like, "What?" I wonder if he felt suddenly betrayed because he knew that was Sidious, or he just thought, "Oh no, I've lost." It, it just, I don't know, it was it was really unclear. And to have a villain with, like, like, the visual villain, not the Palpatine, with unclear motives, and to rely so heavily on the fact that we know Palpatine is going to be the Emperor, we know Anakin is going to be Darth Vader, the whole losing the hand thing is a thing that's going to have to happen. It's really requiring us to know ahead of time everything for there to be any sort of stake or dramatic, oh, is this when this is about to happen? Even the yeah. Boba Fett nod. If, so which I'm so glad you said missed. that because I was going to I was going to mention that I think this movie has to play on two levels, being a prequel and being a prequel to a beloved like franchise and series. It has to play, you know, for people that are seeing these movies for the first time or maybe don't remember the original films very well. And it also has to play for people that know, you know, the uh, the original films inside and out. And so, uh, something that really bothered me in this movie is the way they treat the Boba Fett thing. Like, I I think I've told you before, I'm not, like, the biggest fan of Boba Fett. I don't quite get why people just, like, love Boba Fett. But if that's your character, if you love Boba Fett, then the way they handled the reveal as to his origin in this movie was so half-assed and and almost, like, insulting, I think, if, if that's your character. And unasked for, nobody wanted a Boba Fett origin. No, but if you were going to do it and this was going to be your story, they could have done it so much better. You could have had this Django character. You don't really know his last name. You know that he's got this son who's a clone. 
I mean, you could have just like given little tiny bits here and there to where at the end, when Mace Windu decapitates him, or maybe he doesn't decapitate him. Like, like let's back off of that because my story doesn't work if he decapitates him. But maybe he's 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 perilously you know injured. He's fatally wounded, and he has a moment with his son, and that's when you find out his name is Boba, and that's mm-hmm. when you maybe not that exact thing. But my point is like, if this is going to be your choice, and you're going to go with this as your backstory to a beloved character for whatever, then there's a much better way to give that reveal and make it more interesting than just handing everything to you as it's coming out. It's like when you go to a restaurant and they just send your food out as it's ready and there's no, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to it, you know? Yeah. I I don't know. I just, it bothered me so much that it was such a throwaway. I mean, you saw that Mandalorian armor super, super early. There was no big reveal. It would have been so much cooler. I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I was really bothered by that, which is funny since I don't honestly give a fuck about, (laughs) <laughs> Boba Fett. No. But I thought that character was handled so poorly. To be fair, his I think a lot of his appeal comes from originally his mystery. He's just there. Oh, from not knowing his story? Yeah, he was just there at Empire, and he seemed to have a lot of tricks up his sleeve. It, another reason Jedi was not loved a lot in the uh, when it first came out was just the way he sort of got punked and unexplained. And so yeah. there was sort of that diehard fan where it was like, Boba Fett was cool. And then, of course, the novelizations picked up on it and really showed you he was cool. And then when you see your really scary or badass person as a child, it sort of takes away some of that coolness like <clears throat> phantom menace you know mm-hmm. it's it, it's hard to look at that kid and go that's going to be right. darth when vader. you see a six-year-old seven-year-old darth vader you're like uh, i'm not really sure how i feel about this yeah so well right. okay so i think we could we could easily spend another hour just going through scene by scene and this was screwed up this could have been better this could have been different but i mean we're not we're not adding a whole lot to the already ab- like abundant criticism of this movie online what do, what do let's talk about some fixes what, All right. what could we do to make this film better well if you'll recall and i don't think it's necessary you listen to our phantom menace episode but one of the things we like you there, should because it's a good one actually yeah but one of the things we really liked there was giving more attention to giving more of a focus to obi-wan because for better or for worse, he is the thing that you want to focus on. He's, you know where his arc is going. He is the hero. Ewan McGregor's bringing a lot of that, the fun, lovable, like, adventureness to it. He's like the swashbuckler in this. He's the one that, you know, not that any of the humor really works in these movies, but his comes closest, I would say. Like, he has some lines sometimes that you're kind of like, I'll give you a half chuckle for that. Well, and it doesn't need to be just him, but what I want to see is more of the relationships built around him. There's a there's a part in the beginning of when you first see Obi-Wan and Anakin in this movie, they're in an elevator. And Obi-Wan makes the comment to Anakin that he, because they're about to see Padme, that he looks as nervous as that time they fell into a nest of gun darts. And Anakin goes... Well, you fell in. I jumped after you to save you. And he just kind of smirks and goes, yeah. And I'm like, could we not have started the movie on that actual scene? Like, what if we need to see the Jedi? What if they need to, instead of seeing them on an elevator, we'll just assume that when you cut between them and a nest of gun darts getting out and then later seeing Padme, maybe they took an elevator. 
because that's not important. What's important is seeing them get along. So see them on a planet, see Obi-Wan maybe fall into some trouble, see Anakin dive in after him, see them both kind of have a laugh about it because they've grown up together. They've become this duo that, that goes on adventures and gets into things. And that yeah, plays. Let's, let's see how their relationship has changed over 10 years instead of just mentioning mm-hmm. it in a conversation in an elevator. Well, and, and, and that makes Obi-Wan and Anakin less of just Obi-Wan's always nagging Anakin to be better. And Anakin's always crying about Obi-Wan. They're supposed to be friends. They call each other friends. Anakin calls Obi-Wan like a fa- like a second father to him or a first father to him. That's let's, see some of that in not just the nagging parental way but in the way that they get along and the way that they adventure together and then they get out of this problem beep beep phone call on the jedi phone oh gotta go see padme and then anakin gets nervous and then you know like we're, we're, i don't know and you you make a really good observation here there's so many scenes in this movie where people are just talking to each other and you could accomplish something so much more interesting and actually probably faster Mm-hmm. If you replaced it with some sort of action, even yeah. if it's like a flashback or something, which I, I know that the Star Wars films in general don't really rely on a lot of flashback. So that might be breaking from, you know, the formula a little too much, but it's a scenario where it would have been nice. This is a prequel. Something. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. So maybe all of it is flashback. And, you know and we are ju- 10 year jump is a lot. So if we're doing that, then. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be a bad thing to show even just a montage of them coming up together. But if not, then I think just the one instance of them in action to start the movie off, especially right after a scene of senators talking, w- would help kind of keep the blood flowing in this movie. Mm-hmm. And the other, uh, the other thing I want to see, just focusing on Obi Wan a bit more. I loved his. I'd like to see him interact in the galaxy more. Sure, he talked to Dexter Jexter in the diner, and then he went to Camino. But what if he he's like, he knew he knows Moss Eisley in Episode Four? Like he 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 talks down about it, but he knows it. What if we see him like Obi Wan gets on best in the galaxy, in the underbelly, in all of these places that Jedi mm-hmm. have to go to get their hands dirty, and that's kind of what Obi Wan. That's how I envision Obi Wan. He doesn't do well sitting around with the Council. He's not there at that level. He's he's a go out into the galaxy, get your hands dirty kind of guy. And if we could have got a little bit more of that in his investigation and have Anakin and even and even early on Padme there. So they're investigating this whole attempt on her life. And let's let's get some more Padme. Let's let's know what's going on in her head, whether it's talking with Obi-Wan. Maybe there's kind of like a friendship connection there so they can both talk about Anakin to help mm-hmm. build that relationship. Maybe we bring in a handmaiden, whatever. Yeah, I think it was a great opportunity to keep one of because, I mean, we lost one handmaiden at the very beginning. Like you said, she got blown up and she got deaded. And then the other handmaiden, the Rose Byrne character, ended up assuming her identity in the Senate to to continue to protect her. But what we've seen in the last movie is that she doesn't exactly have a shortage of these lookalike handmaidens. What if one of them stuck with her and that was part of the security detail was to have another handmaiden with her that... I mean, because we sort of see that a little bit in the Phantom Menace with the Kira Knightley character is that they're not just her like servants. They're her friends and confidants. And I mean, they're they're part of her inner circle. And that's in, in that it kind of royalty so situation. To ha- yeah. To is, have one of those characters with her throughout this movie or yeah, just would have been so much more interesting. Or at the very least, she kind of becomes the third person in the Obi-Wan Anakin like Padme trio, just like you had Luke, Leia and Han like. 
don't oh, stray don't okay. stray from the because she is the Leia of these movies. That is down to like her outfits, down to the fact that she's Leia's mom and her same right. no Wait, nonsense attitude. Mom. Oh my golly! <laughs> so so let's let's let her get more involved. I see her arguing at first that she's not going to just sit back while they do the investigation and drags herself along or forces herself to come along with them. Eventually, mm-hmm. so we see more interaction with the three of them. Again, you could have the handmaiden, or I still see as Obi-Wan being kind of her confidant to talk to, because they have history, and they both care about Anakin, so there's like that connection there. And then it, it, things eventually get hot enough, or the, the the pressure comes on, that Obi-Wan needs to go one way, and they need to go to Naboo for, for Hayden's sake. And there could even be that same kind of resentment Anakin has, because he wants to go with Obi-Wan. No, I can do this. I can be a part of this with you. Uh, I am strong enough. It's all about him having the strength. And both of them getting sidelined might be a connection that they start to make together. I think it'd be interesting... Um, I, again, before we started rolling, I, I, I mentioned to you that they have a very like Romeo and Juliet type of relationship in that, you know, they're just they're, they think they're in love with each other, but they're they're also sort of just infatuated with each other and don't know the difference. Right. Had we had that third character, they could have really served the nurse role from Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. that that further reinforces that you guys can't be together um, or the friar. I mean, Obi-Wan could have even been Either the friar way, yeah. and been supportive, too. Uh, we're getting super Shakespeare here. But no, on top of that... it's funny you say that because I notated that I would have loved, first of all, to see basically anyone else direct this film. But how <laughs> fun would it have been if Kenneth Branagh had done maybe all three of them, but at least like this one? Because I couldn't get over, especially early in the movie, like even the, the political conversations, um, their romantic relationship, how Shakespearean it all felt. Right. Star Wars in, is a space it, opera. Yeah. And how interesting a Kenneth Branagh Star Wars film would have been. Like, I know he did Thor and he got a little lost in parts of Thor, but when, when Thor, the first Thor film that he directed was good, it was great. It just... I think Star Wars is even more Shakespeare and even more like up his alley. And it just would have been so neat to see him. So, so part of our fix reins. is Kenneth Brown on directing. I am down with that. One of the other things you said, like the Romeo and Juliet Juliet romance is not a healthy romance. Right. The romance between Padme and Anakin doesn't necessarily have to be a good one. It can be a romance bred from strategy, bred from, lust and passion over you know like a slow like growth and that could be the things that like obi-wan well, tries the, to warn against the element but... of the harder that ever that that people try to keep them apart and tell them they can't be together the more they want to be together like embrace that part of that relationship and and just the part of the reason is just the culture it's jedi aren't supposed to have girlfriends and senators you know politics and relationships become a big thing and obi-wan would have been the perfect person to have in the middle of that because we've already seen him kind of shun the council's like they they were they told him at the end of phantom menace you can't train this kid and he goes well i'm gonna do it anyway and they went well we really like you so fine what if he decided to back their play when he realizes, okay, I can't stop them from pursuing this, so I'm just going to try and mitigate the damage? And that becomes his guilt later, when in his attempt to try and be a friend to Anakin, he let Anakin go over the deep end because he didn't put his foot down hard when he should have and, and make the hard calls. And it builds up their drama for clashing later and jealousy between like how good of a friend he is to... 
Padme and, you know, but, but he's, she's supposed to be with Anakin and he just, you know, he gets so paranoid and so calm because we already start to see that. One of the things I like is Anakin feels he's being told he's not strong enough. He's being told he can't do things. The things like his mother, he's worried about her people that he loves die and, you know, he used to be a slave. He's got this whole obsession with, if I get strong enough, I can prevent anything bad from ever happening. That's not an uncommon thing. And that's why a lot of people get lost in power and right. become and it's villains. A, it's a great trope. As tropes mm-hmm. go, it's a really good one that works. But his thing is, uh, he's whiny boy. He's creeper with Padme. Oh, yeah. And then there's that whole genocide thing, which... Which was funny because I noted that in that moment when his mom dies in his arms in this camp of people and he just starts going crazy with the lightsaber, if this were a video game, it would be perfectly and socially acceptable. But because this is a movie and he's we're supposed to look at him them as more than just targets, this is bad. But that's he's he's lost that distinction. He thinks he's in the video game. He's playing the video game here where he's just going to go in and kill all the bad guys. And there are it's just that simple. Right. So, man, I really think what we're talking about with their... Because it is the main focus of this film, fixing their relationship and its portrayal is probably the first thing on our punch list in this this remodel. Uh, the other thing that I think is so important, and we really haven't touched on it much in this episode so far, is the lack of a good villain. And I think that's a problem that all three prequel films really suffer from. They all have a villain. You know, we've got in the first film... We had Darth Maul, but he was he was kind of like a last act. I don't know. He wasn't really a full, fully realized villain. We have Dooku in this, who, again, we don't even meet until an hour into the movie. And hour and 16 minutes. Yeah. And then, you know, spoilers a little bit. In the next movie, we have General Grievous, who who's actually kind of a neat character, but again, grossly underdeveloped and underutilized. And, and they're all introduced, except for Darth Maul, they're all introduced in the most trivial ways. Count Dooku is referenced in the titles, and we don't see him until later. He's serving Palpatine. So... So we all know, if you've watched Star Wars, that Palpatine's the bad guy. And if you didn't watch Star Wars when these came out, somebody who watched Star Wars was going to tell you. I think Palpatine should have been had his own scenes. We should have seen him manipulating the scenes. Yep. Seen him playing yeah. both sides, because he is brilliant. He basically starts a war where he controls both armies. He can't mm-hmm. lose. There is no losing for him. He's going to win because he's literally controlling the entire war. He's manipulating he's, he's everybody. He's hitting two sides against each other just to wear both sides down. But he's in charge of both sides. The High yeah, Chancellor is so... in charge of the clone army, and as Darth Sidious, he's in charge of the droid army. This is right. This is nuts maneuvering. This is like Sun Tzu Art of War like craziness. And what if we actually cut, because we can cut away from the heroes and see the villains. What if we see him being a villain? Well, and there's precedence for it in the Star Wars universe, because in, what's funny, the later slash earlier films, in episodes, you know, episode six, we cut away to the Emperor Palpatine, who he later becomes, Mm -hmm. and we see him doing these sorts of things. So it wouldn't be ridiculous to, because we've already made the realization in in Phantom Menace. So if the whole pre- thing was, we don't want to give it away that he's Emperor Palpatine, or that's what he's becoming. We've already done that. We've pulled that trigger in the first film. So in this film, everyone that's seen the first movie is going in knowing who he is, that, that he is... That he's this, bad. Even if you don't know yeah. who he is, he's doing bad. 
So we can cut to him and see him, like you said, playing both sides, mm-hmm. manipulating both sides, being the villain that this film needs so badly. And and being that other voice in the ear of Anakin. We've got Obi-Wan and Padme trying to kind of give him this sort of loving relationship. But then you've yeah. got the Emperor who's making him paranoid of losing that. So he has to continue to seek more power. And you know he makes this comment about... Dick, we said how he said it was okay for, you know, Anakin goes to, to Padme, hey, you know, what's wrong with the dictator as long as he's getting the job done and doing it right? And she looks at him like, oh, you're messing with me. But it's like, no, he's been growing up with Palpatine in his ear. He believes that. Why can't we see Palpatine continue to bring that subterfuge on? He's been he's been keeping an eye on young Skywalker's process or progress, as he said in the, the end of Phantom Menace, for some time. It, that's that's a decade of time where he's sort of mm-hmm. influences. Boy, he's the one that puts Anakin in a position to see Padme again. He did that on purpose so that Anakin can get all riled up. Exactly. And if you if you're really looking at the film, you see it, but it's not readily apparent nor focused on. And I think that's what we need more of. We need more of seeing him not just affecting the the war, but affecting Anakin. So that when we get to the point where Anakin eventually becomes Darth Vader and fully embraces the dark side, we've we've watched it happen and we understand why it's happened. Mm-hmm. We get some of that in Revenge of the Sith, but not enough. And if we For started, sure. if we but started the laying the groundwork, to be better yeah. laid in this movie. Exactly. All right. What else? I, so I feel I feel really good about this. I feel like the the two big things we're really focusing on in this remodel is bolstering this relationship between anime or anime <laughs> between Anakin we're and making anime. an anime star wars it's done <laughs> uh, yeah i'd watch that um so bolstering that relationship and everything that goes with that so bolstering um padme and and her character and her motivations bolstering uh the the obi-wan character as his mentor and being that like kind of good guy in Anakin's ear. And then on the flip side, really developing Palpatine as a much better villain Mm -hmm. and seeing where his influence is and seeing what he's up to and seeing the opposite of, of, you know, what's being whispered in Anakin's other ear. And the other thing we can do with that is we can see him also influencing Dooku behind the scenes. So Dooku can become the next Darth Maul. He doesn't have to necessarily die right. in this and movie. And Dooku can make sense as a character, which would be yeah. really nice. Dooku can, is being manipulated just as much to an extent. He think, He's more in the know than anybody else, but he's still not the villain. He's the minion. And so just like Darth Maul, even though he's seen, I mean, played by Christopher freaking Lee, who's an amazing actor, but... He could he can think he's the you know, he's the major player in this. But we see that Palpatine is just using him like yet another Sith apprentice that he casts aside. That could almost be because there isn't another. Well, I guess there's Grievous, but there isn't another Sith apprentice in the third one. That's what Anakin's going to become. And it makes you wonder, well, gee, Palpatine's just been throwing these guys away to get like you know, hacked up in the grinder of the Jedi at what point. So, but Vader is the one he's been building up all along, or is that eventually going to be Vader's fate? I mean, it makes, it just makes it so much more dramatic when you, you've got three movies and you can slowly start setting these up, but we have to see Palpatine interact with Dooku as well. They never talk in this entire film. Sidious and Dooku never talk. Right. Which is a a complete waste of a very interesting, like character relationship. Mm hmm. 
Well, what else? So we've, I think we've really nailed down two, two broad, but very, very good fixes for this movie. Is there anything else that, that just needs a good, a good makeover? I have a question to you about something and it's, it's, it's getting a little in the weeds, but it's, it's the one in the weeds thing that confuses me when, um, and Anakin, when Obi-Wan goes to Kamino and learns of the droid army, the, the, race on Camino, the, the natives say that they were given an order by someone named Cypher Diaz, who Obi-Wan then goes, well, he was the head of the Jedi Council up until almost 10 years ago. Uh-huh. I feel like there's a story there. I feel like that's important. It must be in like the novelizations or something. But more importantly, there is the suggestion that he, that Cypher Diaz, this head of the Jedi Council, gave the order to start a building a clone army but the Jedi Council goes, no, he would never do that. And then it sort of dropped and they never investigate. Well, then how did this happen? It, I, I mean, you could one could assume that maybe Palpatine sort of manipulated it and made it look mm-hmm. like Cypher Diaz did that. But who was this character? Why was that happening? That it, it, it's so, not a major bit. But so it, when they when, they, when, when I got to that part of the movie this last time, I went and I Googled him, of course, because I was like, was this a character in Phantom Menace that I just don't remember? was my first reaction. Okay. Uh, and come to find out it, it's a character that we've only ever seen in uh, legacy novels. Like you, like you're like you're referencing. Uh, but he's also a character in the clone wars movies. I, I'm assuming like in flashbacks since technically Wait, you mean the animated he, show. Yes. Okay. So, but I, I think to, to your point, either don't mention him at all. Mm hmm. Or if you're going to mention something like that, then we need to know more. We need to know, you know, because we do see uh, we do see Obi-Wan contact the council and talk to Yoda and Mace Windu and the other guy whose name I never know and mention like, hey, um, what's the deal with this guy? Uh, what was his name again? I can't remember. I wrote it Cyph- down somewhere. Cypher Diaz. He's like, yeah, apparently Cypher Diaz made this whole, like, commissioned a clone army, and they're all, they all just kind of go, like, that doesn't sound like something he'd do. And you, they <laughs> Meanwhile, just. Meanwhile, there's a there. clone army right there. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, that's cool and all, but there's a clone army here. What should we do? So you're right. If they're going to mention a character like that mm-hmm. by name, then it needs to go somewhere. We, he needs to follow that thread in his, like, spy investigator hat. Yeah. Well, there see was where that a... goes. And it would I mean, it would be such a neat moment, because like we said, we need Palpatine to be a bigger character. So if the whole thing is we find out if he follows that thread only to find out that um, that Palpatine actually did this under his name or uh, coerced him into it or there was some mm-hmm. sort of brainwashing involved, like whatever, like that would be the next thing in his investigation. Well, we don't know why this guy is dead. See that. It's funny, he died almost 10 years ago, which is the big point marker for when the Phantom Menace happened. So Right. That's where. That's why I assumed, when I looked him up, that's why I assumed he was a character from Phantom Menace that I just didn't remember. But he wasn't. So mm-hmm. it's these kind of weird, loose threads that would have been, I think, sort of interesting to follow, at, at least in the, the, the political intrigue aspect of this film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's, let's say, let's put that in our fix, that if we're going to keep this character in here that then it needs to be have been the next thread that Obi-Wan follows to ultimately find out 
or at least get his, you know, him one step closer to discovering Palpatine's true identity and motivation. Right. And he could, that could kind of be his side project that he picks up again in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Because eventually the Emperor gets outed, but in, as I recall, it was a very kind of Anakin show, goes to the council and goes, oh, by the way, it turns out he's a bad guy. And then they go and, and raid his off. It was just, eh. Yeah, but that's, well, because, that's, that's another because movie. he make uh, the the emperor. Well, we're getting into the next movie. You're right. We're getting into the next movie. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. all that said, I, I I feel good about this. I we we aren't really changing the whole movie. We're just we're shifting the focus, and we're we're saying we need the, that these certain relationships need to be much better developed. Mm-hmm. Because that's overall the appeal of Star Wars. Yes, it's big battles and good versus evil. But the thing that makes you fall in love with them are the the characters and how they interact. Han and Luke and Leia are just iconic because they're so much fun to watch even now. I still like uh, Poe and Finn and Rey all getting along when they get together and start, you know, adventuring about. I'm excited. Yeah, and, you're yeah, totally may, right. And they'll get separated and they'll have to do things on their own, but they're that core and it, it it's fun. So if it was Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Padme... Man, that that the formula works. They can still be their own people. We we have in this case a romance budding that is controversial, but that's good. It doesn't have to be a perfect romance that makes sense. Right, and in fact, that would make less sense in the context of the yeah of, of what's about saga. to happen. Yeah, yeah. It, it does not go well. I wonder why. I bet this turns out great. <laughs> yeah. But but again, it, it plays on the long tropes we know about the characters where they think they can do, they know what's best, they think they're doing right, and it leads to much regret later that the next generation, A New Hope, has to come and, and help restore. Come on. Cool. Well, I think I, I'm, I feel happy with our fix. How about you? I do too. And I want to say something that, again, I've said a few times in this podcast, but I think it's worth repeating we, we, we talk about how much you can love something. I, I've had conversations with people lately about how vehemently I used to love Star Wars. And it's not that I still don't love Star Wars. It's we have to be careful how invested we get let ourselves get into these kinds of properties where we go, oh, well, that's not my Star Wars or that's not what I know. It's like, well, that's true. But if you get so angry, if you let the anger consume you, you actually aren't paying attention to what's happening. And I am living proof of that because I have watched Attack of the Clones more times than I care to remember. And I still saw new things in that movie today because I've not let my emotions and just how much I think Star Wars should be like X instead of Y just come into it. Instead, just watched it. And I was going, wow, you know, I don't like this movie but there's not it's not just all terrible and it's okay to love something it's okay to be it's great to be passionate about something but as soon as you start shutting yourself down and getting angry like that you've probably become too invested in something that in the end we don't own disney owns it now lucas owned it before they can do whatever they want with it and we have to be ready to accept that and this the other thing I would stress, and again, I'm proof of that, is I keep saying it's actually good to be critical of stuff. It helps you learn to enjoy things. I enjoy this movie more, not just because I calmed down and watched it, but because of like us finding this fix and seeing the hidden gems in it that I never yeah. saw before. And if I was not critical of this movie, and if I just switched my brain off and and just watched it, I'd be like, eh, that sucked. 
but instead yeah. I appreciate it more. So I just, I always want to stress. And if you're listening to this, you probably think like we do to some extent in this way, but you know, check, you know, love something, but just check that level, you know, don't let it get crazy. You don't, don't get turned to the dark side and, and be critical. Cause in the end, when you're truly critical, you end up finding ways to love so much more stuff because you're you're applying you're appreciating so much more stuff and enjoying things that you otherwise would have wanted nothing to do with and i i hope we continue to do that as movie fixers and i hope our audience uh is able to take that with them in uh their movie going experience as well step down well from said. soapbox <laughs> well said i was gonna I, I i kept thinking i was gonna add but really you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there so i'm, I'm happy with that and i i can't i I could hardly have said it better. Um, all right. Well, we need to probably wrap this up pretty quickly. Do we want to, we haven't really uh, discussed what our next fix is going to be. Uh, I have two movies that I put uh, in the queue that I would like to consider. Um, do you want to talk about those or do you want to just invite, uh, what do you want to do with that? Yeah, go ahead and hit me with your two options and then I'll tell you what I'm thinking. And this might be, this may end with one of those times where we try to get audience feedback and okay. decide which way we go. But what so, are you thinking right now? So in an effort to to do uh, to step outside of our, our genre box of doing fantasy sci-fi action, like a lot of our, a lot of our movies do really have a lot in common. We have uh, a trend. Two, two movies that uh, I, I recently was talking to some friends and realized that they'd be great candidates that don't that aren't necessarily these sorts of genre films that are that are very much in a different category. Uh, the two that I came up with are Eight Mile with Eminem, Ooh. which my pitch for that is I, I like that movie. OK, it's got a great base, but it could have been better. And I think it would make a great uh, even if we don't do it for our next episode. I really want to consider that one. And another one that I, I, I movie I really love and is very beloved by so many people. But I, I could I could probably record an episode right now on without having to watch it again is Devil Wears Prada. Ooh. It's another one that has a lot of good bones, like a lot of great structure, and it just has some some kind of glaring problems that would have been a fairly I would I don't want to say easy fix like it's a, you know flip a switch, but mm -hmm. would would make for good conversation especially for for things that can be improved in movies. I like that as an option. I will say this, I've never seen 8 Mile, but I've always been kind of interested in seeing it. Huh. So, I think Partly because I love when you've seen a movie and I haven't, and then we come back after after I've watched it and talk on it. I would like to try maybe Eight Mile first, but I'll say this: we'll ask the audience between those two, which one would you rather us do? And we'll put the other one, you know, off to the side and 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 work it in yeah, later. Yeah, we'll backburner the other one. Yeah, which one do you want us to do first? Uh, always, always, always include anything else you want us to do. But I think I think for for symmetry's sake and just us having only so much time to put towards this podcast, we'll do one of those two and we'll make up our minds within the next week. Cause this is a biweekly podcast. Sounds great. Give us mm -hmm. some feedback. Let us know what you guys want to see. Uh, so, Tone, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I was going to say one thing I want to do is throw out a quick recommendation. We don't have a lot of time to go into stuff. We've talked about it before, but I just felt like it was on brand. I love the animated series, star Wars rebels. I am really trying to get Matt to finish it because he is right around the good, good part. Like yeah. most animated series, it starts a bit 
like it's for kids, but it's got all like for for Star Wars nostalgia people, it's got all the sound effects, all the original music. It takes place. It brings bef- like some of the original voice actors. Yeah, it takes place right before with a new group of people right before a New Hope, kind of at the very bud of the rebellion before Rogue One even, and that. That becomes really interesting. It introduces probably one of my favorite Jedi I've ever seen, either in the big screen or small. Uh, hmm. uh, Kanan. I love oh, yeah, Kanan. Yeah. Kanan's, yeah, Kanan's he's, he's kind of a cool character who, who to me, really got it. Like, he, he liked the Jedi, but the Jedi Council kind of, no, just no. I'm, he's, he's not having them. You know, he's, he's a bit scrappier. And I love that about him. He's he's my new favorite Jedi. So Star Wars Rebels. It's only four seasons. It's done. A lot of good story. If you ever read any of the novel, the legacy novels that Matt was mentioning, uh, <clears throat> for instance, uh, anything with Admiral Thrawn, you definitely want to check these out. You're going to recognize a lot of spaceships. You're going to recognize a lot of characters from those novels uh, earlier on in their career. It's going to be a, a lot of fun lore and canon. They worked really hard to stay true to a lot of the content out there and then do their own unique thing. And if you're a big Star Wars nut like I am, you really need to add that to your to your queue. Uh, yeah, I, having not finished it, I can't give quite the review you're giving, but I will say where I am in the show, you're completely right. It is picked up and it's so good. And I, I am really looking forward to finishing it. Uh, the one thing I'll say for listeners, if you are interested in checking out uh, Star Wars Rebels, is look up like a, a, a viewing order. Um, try not to land on any spoilers, but it's a little hard to figure out because there's like a movie and then there's a season and then there's another movie and then there's like a half season. And then I think there's another movie. It's It was a little, I, I remember this, it was a little confusing figuring out what order to watch things in. So just do a little research ahead of time. They don't have to do that, Matt. As you can. All they no? have to do is, no, just message me on Facebook or message the channel and I'll get it to you. Because I, I watched it as it aired. So I'm I'm aware of the order and I'm happy to share it. I actually kind of want to just do a podcast on why I love it so much. That may be just like an offshoot I'd, thing I'd be into do. it. you got to well, finish in, it first. In, in keeping with, with, with animate animation that's not the word animation recommendations uh we i just hayden and i just finished up season two of the dragon prince on netflix yes Um, it's from some of the same writers of the the last airbender which as listeners might have heard us mention once or twice or 17 times on this show and it, it shows i i wouldn't say it's as good as the last airbender but what is it's but it's still good and mm-hmm. it, it it's another one that feels a little kitty at times but the one thing they're doing really well, and it's something that Avatar did so well, which is they write characters so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're realistic. They their motivations make sense. They're there's not they're just relatable. good guys and bad guys. It's yeah. There's there's bad guys in the show that that have that are relatable and and have redeeming moments, and you understand them. Our good guys do things that are questionable sometimes, and it it's really it's really weighty stuff for like a kid's program but i i like that they managed to stay accessible for both children and adults alike and that's mm-hmm. just that's a, a hallmark of solid writing to me and season two really cranks up the quality in both the writing and the animation so oh, if you're for sure if you, if you can sit through nine episodes of season one which aren't bad season two is just going to be worth the payoff for that oh yeah it's like there's there's 18 i think 20 minute episodes that are right now you, you could you could watch this in, an, in a day if you weren't <laughs> if you didn't have anywhere to be so totally <laughs> recommend that 
Tone, that's our recommendations for the week. Uh, listeners, definitely weigh in if you want to hear us do 8 Mile or Devil Wars Prada for our next episode. What do they Tone. weigh in, Matt? Well, oh, they can weigh in on Facebook. That's probably the easiest place to get a hold of us and where most people are. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at OnlyOnTSD and Facebook at OnlyOnTSD. Uh, you can email us at contact at OnlyOnTSD. And but we don't check that as often as we should. <laughs> the best place to find us is probably on Facebook. Uh, Tone, you want to give us our credits for the week? You got it. Credits for this episode of Movie Fixers. I am your host, Tony. With me always is my co-host, Matt, the best Hello. and brightest of the Jedi Order. <laughs> Executive producers are Hayden Smith and Kristen Faith. Normally, our property scout recap person is Jessa Ducci, but we gave her, I'm still going to give her a nod, even though we didn't make her uh, come into this dumpster fire. And <laughs> and uh, our artwork is provided by Nick Aducci. Uh, the Aduchis are always a great part of this podcast and anything TSD, so lots of love to them. Sounds great. And as always, thank you to our listeners. Without this, Without you... It would just be us talking to each other, which wouldn't be so bad if I'm being honest. Nah, but at least making a job out of it. Absolutely. It's more fun getting feedback, that's for sure. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week, uh, next week, next episode, on another episode of Movie Fixers. Bye. <laughs>